Hi, my name is Nathan Cook and you're listening to HDR Brews, in other words, high degree researchers drinking coffee. This small show is designed for academics to put their research interests in the spotlight. Please sit, learn and enjoy a cuppa while we do too. Hello and welcome to HDR Brews, in other words, high degree researchers drinking coffee. This episode's researcher is Georgia Collins and Cup of Coffee is brought to you by At Home. As we are still in lockdown, currently in Australia, I'm having a double espresso made on the stove. And Georgia, what are you having? Hey Nathan, I'm having a peppermint tea. It's uh, a little early for my coffee, but once we wrap up here, it'll probably be coffee time then. Is that something that you've tried to put in your ritual morning, a morning ritual, like a, a later coffee or...? Absolutely. I usually have my coffee at about 10 a.m., not before, uh, because I'm still full from my breakfast. Uh, and I also like to have a short break mid-morning. Um, and I live in, in a city and there's a coffee shop right at the end of our street, like 50 metres away. So go there every morning and buy a coffee and say hello to my friends there. And they're actually the only people I see every day <laughs> since we're in lockdown and uh, socialisation is restricted. That's, uh, that's cool. I like that little concept, like living you know, in the same little town seeing like your little community type thing um especially when it's so close that's cool like 50 meters that's that's great yeah it's nice to have that connection so the first question this morning is what is your area of research Uh, i'm a dietitian and my area of research at the moment is uh environmentally sustainable hospital food services but it hasn't always been that area uh so i've kind of, I guess, generally my research areas would include uh, food service and health system design, uh, implementation research. Uh, I've got skills and experience in both qualitative and quantitative research. Um, I've also done a a bit of work looking at education research and uh, the needs, um, knowledge, skills, experiences of the profession, the dietetics profession. Uh, and I've also done some research on elderly nutrition and their nutrition requirements. So it's pretty big in, and broad in scope. Yeah, we've had some um, previously had some great conversations about some uh, some strong opinions on some areas, which has been really good and definitely different to um, the general food service stuff that people may know you a little bit better for. Um, so it's great to have plenty of interests, but then it makes it hard to, I guess, publicise in each area or. It, like you end up being only doing 5% of everything rather than 100% of one. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, when you move through your career as a researcher, you naturally sort of, well, it's been natural for me to follow different opportunities and take up projects in different areas. And uh, so there is, that's, I guess, why I've got a bit of a diverse um, track record. Um but I think that's natural as you're figuring out what you like, you're developing your skills, you're working with new people, uh, and, and often as a young um, as a young early career researcher, you've just got to do the job that comes up or jump on the project that is available. Um, but it's all good experience because um, you learn different skills. So you know, my first project was a very quantitative, heavy. Uh, survey of over a thousand dietitians. So I really honed my uh, my survey monkey skills and my 
um, regression skills. Uh, and then I've moved on to doing other projects that have focused on, say, qualitative methods, um, intervention studies with real-life people. Uh, so, yeah, they're all useful, um, definitely, in terms of developing skills and knowledge um, and testing out what you like and don't like as a researcher. Yeah, I feel as though when you're like you said, early stage, especially when you're doing honours or PhD stuff, you might not necessarily, of course, you want to be focusing on something you're interested in, but you might not necessarily develop the skills that you'd like, because like you said, it's it's the project that's due, and you have to do that, so that's cool that you can ex- have the ability to explore um, different areas, that's great. Could you please talk us through your research pathway from beginning until now? Sure, so it's about, it's probably about a 10-year journey um so i jumped straight into research straight after my undergrad uh, nutrition degree so i studied a bachelor of nutrition and dietetics at monash a four-year course loved it and at the end of it i took up an honors project uh, which was an additional year uh, honors in nutrition and dietetics And that was my first taste of research. So an honours year is where you do a research project for the course of the year and submit a thesis towards that honours degree. And I kind of fell into that in some way. At the end of the four-year undergrad degree, um, you know, everyone's competing for clinical jobs. There's not that many. There's a bit of angst. And I was not interested in being part of that competitive process. I didn't want to pitch myself against my friends. And I actually wasn't even really interested in being a clinical dietitian. So there was a project available that uh, was uh, doing an honours research project at King's College in the UK. And I thought, well, I'd love to go to London. I don't really know too much about what nutritional genomics is which was the topic of the project. But I thought, I, I like the sound of London. I'll, 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 don't worry about that nutritional genomics topic. I'll, I'll sort that out. <laughs> so I signed up and I was selected. And so I went off to London for the year in 2011 and did uh, my honours year. So that was my first taste of research. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but I quickly learned uh, you know, skills in systematic review, skills in, um, yeah, de- developing and designing and running a project, um, analysing and writing the thesis. And I, I loved it. I really loved the autonomy. Um, I loved the problem solving and the long-term nature of the problem solving. So I had a whole year to, to do something, to get deep into it uh, and to really think deeply and test concepts and ideas and explore deeply. And don't you know you don't get that opportunity in many other jobs where you've got really tight timelines or deadlines so i returned at the end of my honors degree to australia and there was a phd position going uh, in the department of nutrition and dietetics at monash uni which is where i had done my undergrad and my honors degree and again i thought well i don't really know too much about what a phd even is but I like the idea of research and, you know, they're telling me that I'll be good at it. And, you know, it's the, the opportunity is here. It'd be silly to pass it up. So that was again, how I kind of fell into doing a PhD. So 
uh, straight from, you know, I guess that's kind of the straight or the traditional uh, pathway of undergrad, honours, PhD, and yes, that was me. So my PhD um, was a hospital-based project looking at malnutrition in subacute care. So over the next three to four years, I, uh, I did that PhD at Monash Uni, uh, and it was a series of studies that looked at what are the issues with uh, nutritional status of patients in rehab or subacute care? How does their nutritional status change from when they arrive to when they are discharged? And can we use a food service strategy to support their intake of adequate nutrients to therefore maintain their nutritional status or improve it, in fact? And so that, that second part there was a, was a test of a trial. And, and we found that the trial didn't go as planned when we were, you know, when I was there on the ward, take, collecting the data and measuring to see what was going on. So the last part of the study, or the last part of my PhD was then a, a qualitative evaluation of essentially what went wrong in that, in that trial, in that study, to learn about the, uh, I guess, the complexities of implementation uh, and behaviour change in a healthcare environment. So after I finished my PhD, um, there was a job going in the Department of Nutrition, Dietetics and Food at Monash, and I was successful in getting that position. Uh, and so that was a, a lecturer position uh, where um, teaching and research were part of the job. So I did that for a couple of years and then I sort of moved sideways into the same role but it also had a food service uh, dietitian component. So that's where I find myself now, um, working as a researcher at Monash Uni um, and a lecturer there as well. And then also one day a week working as a food service dietitian at Eastern Health. Amazing. So that's, yeah, that's kind of my journey it's been it's been quite linear and quite straight and obviously I've, I've not left Monash University um so I, I, yeah aside from look I say that but I have I've I've also had opportunities at Eastern Health and, and at King's College London for my honours so I have seen uh, more than the four walls of Monash um but it has been quite I guess straightforward which is quite uncommon and unusual these days it's um it's cool to hear those different experiences that you've had, like going to London or even, you know, what you've done previously in the last 12 months as well, which we'll get into in a moment. But I uh, I think universities personally are just a fantastic environment to be able to, like you said, explore deeply really anything. Like if you're a design student, you come up with the next, you know, building design that, you know, changes the world or things like that, you know. Like there's it's not just um, the pure knowledge but, like, application of that. So... It's really cool that you've got the opportunities to do that. I didn't know that you went to London. Is that is that so? Is that where you met Judy? No, so I met Judy um, Judy Porter. She was um, my PhD supervisor, mm. uh, and yeah, so Judy Porter now is um, your Nathan, your your co supervisor, as as am I yeah. <laughs> for your own PhD. So yeah, so Judy was my own PhD supervisor. And now we've moved into a, um, a collegial relationship where we work together um, 
uh, and supervise other students, which is fabulous to have had that uh, constant mentor mentorship and sponsorship and friendship really from Judy um, over the last you know six or seven years. Because I, I don't know if I'm mistaken, but I, I heard somewhere maybe even from Judy that she was over in that part of the world at one stage as well. So I kind of put two things together, but I was on the wrong track. But. Yeah. Well, Judy did a lot of her uh, before, probably when she was younger, she, she did her a stint in the UK, um, but that was before her and I met. Okay, cool. And so what are you currently working on at the moment at Monash with, between your, your three roles as lecturer, researcher and at uh, Eastern Health in food service? So right now, uh, my main area of research is environmentally sustainable hospital food services. So I'd love to say I do a lot of research on that, but I don't really. I, I have um, four PhD students um, and two undergrad students who are doing the bulk of the doing, and I am in a supervisory um, position there. So um, that research, I think, you know, is is um, is a fabulous area, and I think it's something that's really novel and really needed um, in 2020. So uh, that, you know, I guess, what does that look like? So we have um, Steph, who was the first PhD student who's looking at um, environmental sustainability right across the food supply chain uh, from, I guess, paddock to plate where patients eat their food. So she's kind of doing the, the all-encompassing um, exploration of what are the issues, what do we know about this topic. Uh, and then the second uh, student uh, is you, Nathan, <laughs> who is looking at food waste uh, in hospital food services. I also have another student who I'm supervising who's just begun earlier this year, um, Garolyn, who is uh, from uh, New Zealand uh, at the University of Massey, and I'm a co-supervisor for her project. And she's going to be looking at, or she, at the moment her proposal is to look at um, how we can, or to look at our plant forward menus in hospital food service, and, and then consider how we weigh up the trade-offs between uh, nutrition and energy and protein content, which are important for um, hospital patients, with the the impact that meat <laughs> has on um, on the planet, and, and how could we kind of find a nice balance between a plant forward menu for hospital patients that is also going to um, meet their nutritional needs uh, in, and and uh, allow them to recover um, from their their illness as required. The last student is Kathy, who is looking at um, local food procurement and how we could improve um, the way that hospitals buy food. So to, to um, change up the system so that they're buying food from regional growers and producers and farmers, um, which we know has beneficial effects for um, the local economy, um, for jobs, all that kind of thing, um, but but how we actually switch to that kind of model from this messy, big system that we're currently working in now around food procurement is something that she's going to be looking at. Uh, and I also have a few undergrad students who are helping with projects that um, have come about 
uh, <laughs> at other points. Uh, so one is looking um, at analysing some data that was collected from a grant that colleagues and I got from the Department of Health and Human Services to look at how we can uh, reuse or, or uh, food in packets that has been um, not eaten by hospital patients. So we did a study um, getting those packets that have gone up to the, the ward, not been eaten by the patient and come back. So this is things like uh, a packet of cereal, a, a sachet of coffee or a sachet of sugar. They're all non-perishable shelf stable items. So they don't, it's not like a packet of yogurt that has got that food safety risk from being out of the fridge. But we collected those samples and we swabbed the packet and we sent that swab off to the lab to see what bugs grow on the outside of that packet because there is a perception that uh, we can't possibly reuse or donate those food items that have been in a patient's room because they might be dangerous. Um, we also looked at the feasibility of collecting them in the dish room. Uh, so was that uh, going to be efficient and economical from a time perspective? So. I've got some, a student working on uh, the report of those findings. And earlier in the year, I uh, spent eight weeks in the US for a Churchill Fellowship. So I was awarded a, a Churchill Fellowship to travel to the US to explore uh, how hospitals in the US are leading the way in uh, environmentally sustainable food services. So what was it that they were doing and how did they get to be such good leaders? Uh, and I also have an undergrad student who's working with me to analyse some of the themes uh, to really figure out what is it that makes a hospital a leader in sustainable healthcare. So that's me, I guess, in my research role. That's uh, what that looks like. So that keeps me pretty busy, but it's really, really engaging and interesting um, to have a number of different things going on that really all together um, I guess paint a really comprehensive picture and uh, of environmentally sustainable hospital food services in the sense of what are the issues and how could we go about addressing these. So my, the other part of my job is teaching uh, and so I teach the food service unit um, of the Master of Dietetics program and that's what I teach right now in semester two. And in semester one, I teach uh, an introduction to nutrients. So a kind of nutrition 101 basics. What is a diet history? What is the nutrient? <laughs> um, <laughs> what do they do? What are deficiency diseases? What are the NRVs? That kind of thing um, in the first year of the nutrition science program. And then my, the other part of my job, which is at Eastern Health, um, is food service dietitian. So um, I'm involved in really making sure that the menu, the systems, the, the processes for getting food to patient uh, are working well uh, so that food is safe, it's nutritious, um, and that, you know, it, um, it, it tastes good. <laughs> Try and do that to the best of my ability. Um, so that, yeah, that role is, is uh, there's a lot of troubleshooting the, the system, um, you know, fixing the menu uh, or the computer program when things aren't quite right. There's also a lot of project work to look at um, what is the issue here? How could we implement something new? 
Um, and often there's, um, there's governance uh, and policy, hospital governance and policy associated with that. So I do also attend a few meetings <laughs> um, to, to have those kind of discussions with uh, the multidisciplinary team and all the key stakeholders, which is really important. And to really work the, work out the best way forward in terms of addressing or documenting or monitoring um, the issues that are identified around um, food service provision. Wow, so cool to hear. I think the biggest thing out of that is like, for, you know, coming into this because I would say you know being in this area as well is like the whole system. It's it's not just it can't be fixed overnight. Like I used to say to my friends at uni when we were doing our food service placement and I'm like this this is systems wrong like and it's the things that are coming out now about you know planetary sustainability and and then involving that with food service like you said you know there's procurement there's waste there's making sure that we're providing enough nutrition so it's very cool to see that you're trying to I guess pinpoint potentially each area of that supply chain that Steph is looking at um that's amazing and then even, you know, it gets into in terms of like red meat sustainability as well. Like Australia is a huge consumer and, and exporter of red meat. So there's, and there's different arguments you can get into about that as well. And I get to hear and talk to you about it. Not arguments, sorry, like discussions, but I get to hear and talk about it all day. Like, honestly, I'm just like, for the listeners right now, they don't have the, uh, the, um, the camera on, but I've got a big smile on my face because it's just so cool to hear all the stuff that's happening at the moment. So um, fantastic work, Georgia. Keep it up. Thanks. And so what's next in this project? I know things take a long time, obviously, in terms of research. Like you said, that you know, deep work, um, working on something for one to three years is potentially as well, like in comparison to a PhD. Are you just trying to focus on all those projects at the moment or what, you know, what are you looking at in the future? Yeah, great question. So, I mean, there's so many more elements of, of sustainability that we could explore. <laughs> I think we've probably, I've probably covered off on the, the, the major ones now. Um, I think probably the only other element that um, I think is really important that I have had a little bit of work in um, is looking at how we educate health professions to work in uh, the, you know, the, the, the modern healthcare system where we're going to be um, addressing the issues of climate change directly and indirectly. Uh, so this is, you know, not just, this is all health professions, not just dietitians. but um, so I have been involved in some work on that as well, but, and that's, I think probably the, the final piece of the puzzle, not the final, but one of the additional pieces of the puzzle that I think we need to address. Um, I don't have enough time to, to take on a PhD student in that area too, although I was asked a few weeks ago. Um, so yeah, I guess in terms of where to next, really I think um, in the short term, it's about um, supporting these PhD students to uh, finish their work and, and look at, you know, what, find out what it is that is going on in their, in their individual area um, or their, their topic of focus on sustainability and then figuring out who do we need to tell this to um, or, or how can we, um, what can we do to fix this? So I think a lot of the PhD work that we're looking at at the moment or that the students and I are doing is really quite exploratory. Um, so it would be nice to move into an, an intervention or a testing phase or where, where we're going to then see how we can 
what a change might look like and how we go about implementing that um, and then what happens if we do that. So that's, I guess, the, the area. Eventually, I'd like to get into the, the, ex, the move from the exploring into the doing. It's how we go about that is really complicated. And I don't, you know, I don't quite know yet. Um, but I mean, I know what one thing I do know that will be essential for that is really is collaboration. So uh, as researchers, our job is to research. Um, we don't necessarily have the power and influence to make um, massive changes right across food service in hospitals in the state or the country. But uh, there are others who who are in that position. So, you know, working with um, Department of Health or, um, uh, you know, policy makers, Health Purchasing Victoria, uh, Sustainability Victoria, and then, you know, the similar, similar organisations in other states is really how I think that we can we can make a way forward on that. So in the short term, I'm, I'm working on building relationships with those people so that when the time comes um, that, that I'm in, you know, we're in a good position to, to get that action happening. Um, so yeah, that's the direction I'd like to see this work go in. Ideally, what I'd love to see is um, a new sort of food service um, and new conversations that we're having around food service and uh, new ways of, of looking at and teaching students and talking about and treating food service that really respects food for, for what it truly is, which is more than just something we eat. Um, you know, in, in, in a hospital, food is therapy. Um, it's comfort and satisfaction but it also represents this really valuable, important um, uh, resource um, that, that is a key part of the whole food system. So that food has employed uh, the farmer, the, the, the transporter, um, the packager, the producer. Um, and so there's a lot that, that that food holds, a lot of value that that food holds in terms of economy or social benefit, but also that food, it needed water to grow. It needed land um, if we're, if, you know, and so there's resources, environmental, you know, there's resources that have gone into that that also have environmental impact. Um, so we need to understand that food is more than something that we eat or in the, in the case of hospital food services, something that we look at and go, oh, yuck, and then don't eat. Because when we do that and we throw that away, we're not just throwing away the food, but we're throwing away the opportunity for nutrition, for comfort, um, and all of the resources um, that went into that too. So I'd love to see that kind of – I'd love to see that change to mm. – and, and that's really something that I'm working towards and hope in my lifetime um, we'll, we'll see that we treat food and we talk about food in a different way. That's amazing. And I was just reflecting on what you were saying about, you know, in terms of your position now, it's really cool to see that once you get to, you know, lecturer status or researcher status in a university that you can actually, you play a lot more of the delegating role. You're like, all right, well, this is a really important issue. I don't have capacity, what can I do to investigate it? All right, student here, student there. And that's really cool. And with that, as well as obviously someone's time and capacity is only so finite, but with the implementation, like that's a huge part of like 
you know, you can only go to so many conferences where they say, oh, research into implementation, like, and everyone's talking about it. It's like, well, you know, if we're sitting at the desk doing systematic reviews and, you know, lecturing and then working in the food service, we can't necessarily be the person there standing there with the tick board doing a food waste audit, or we can't uh, be talking to the farmers about how can we do this. Um, and so that implementation part, like you said, is obviously the next part of the research, which is really cool to see that you, um, you're already thinking of that pathway as well. Because in like in in terms of like um, you know product design or changing a system, you need to test it first, and it's really cool that you've you've probably had that experience as well when you've like you said earlier when you did your honors project or sorry your PhD where it didn't go to plan. And then oh, what what did we do next? So and but like you said, it's very hard to, to walk into an organization and be like, all right, we're going to change this, see what happens, because then everyone's going to throw their papers in the air and say, well, hang on, like you can't do that. This is how we've done it forever. Um, so it's a really interesting space and it's be very important for, I would say, for everyone to keep an eye out for to see what happens because everyone's involved with the healthcare system at one point in their life. So yeah, and your your outlook on food is, is um, really amazing as well in terms of how it um, brings people together and it's important. Like if you think about it, everyone eats every day, potentially three times, potentially more, you know, it's a, it's a staple in everybody's life and it's come from a long way away or takes a process to build so um, really important reflections there for the listeners I think I'd like you to tell us now about one of your favorite papers of yours that you've written and then something for the listeners to read sure so I'm gonna go off on a tangent here and tell you about a paper that actually has nothing to do with anything I've told you that I research (laughs) (laughs) but the reason there's a few reasons why I've chosen this one Um, And the first is that it shows that research doesn't need to be complicated. It also shows how research can be really um, accessible in terms of doing the research as well as understanding the concept that has been researched and also how it can be really meaningful and useful and have actually very um, informative application. So they're the three reasons why I've picked this paper because I think it really nicely illustrates this. So the paper um, is uh, just gone online now and um, it's about looking at the image of the dietitian on the internet and whether it uh, reflects reality. And I did this paper, I did this research project with um, my colleague Judy Porter or your other supervisor, Nathan. Um, And basically what we did here was we did a Google search of the word dietitian and we looked at the photos that come up or all the images that come up when you do a Google search for dietitian. And we were interested in seeing if those images match the true characteristics of what dietitians actually look like and actually do and where they actually work in real life. And the reason we did this is because we know that everyone has an internet enabled device within arm's reach, basically at at all times. Uh, And now that we're all kind of working from home more, online more, I I might even think that perhaps that's increased. We know that we we go, if we have a question, we say, I'll I'll Google it. So, you know, Google is our go-to place for finding out the answer for something. And so therefore what we see on there really can influence what we think about something or how we perceive something. So, 
So the results of our study really were what we got from a Google search or, or a series of Google searches. So the method wasn't particularly complicated or hard. Uh, and once we got those images, we, we used Excel, again, not particularly complicated or hard to, to keep a catalog of the images and then to classify uh, what they were showing. So were they showing a male or a female dietitian? What was the age of the dietitian? What was their ethnicity? And what work setting were they working in in that image? So we, they, that's how we got our results. Uh, and then we also contacted uh, the British Dietetics Association, uh, Dietitians Australia, and the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics in the US and asked them, can you please tell us the characteristics of your membership database? So how many women do you have? How many males? Uh, what are their ages and where do they work? So this is how we got the characteristics of what are real dietitians um, like and where do they work and what are their demographics? So we compared the two and what we found was that uh, dietitians uh, represented in Google images um, are young, female, and mostly white. And they're also standing in front of the camera. They're often holding a piece of fruit or um, some vegetables. They're often wearing a lab coat and they're often wearing a stethoscope. So if we think about what we know a real dietitian to look like, that's actually quite um, untrue. So it's true in the sense that yes, most dietitians are female and the majority of the workforce are um, in their kind of 20s to 30s. Um, what we found was that the, was that, um, the images really lacked uh, representation of a workforce that is in their 40s. And we do know that there is a large <laughs> number of uh, dietitians um, in their 40s. That's kind of the second biggest group beyond the 20s and 30s. The problem that we found really was that um, dietitians don't wear lab coats. They don't stand in front of the camera smiling, holding fruit. So we don't have enough authentic images of dietitians at work, truly at work in their natural habitat. Um, what we see on Google image is really this um, pristine face to camera kind of stock image Kyle kind of style photo. And so um, what we'd like to see more of is more authentic communication and more authentic imagery of dietitians at work. And we think that this is gonna help to show the full breadth and depth um, of what dietitians look like and what they do um, and, and more accurately depict the true nature of the profession. So yeah, that's, um, that's the paper I wanted to tell you about. And that's the one I would encourage your listeners to read if they were interested in it. It's gonna be online soon um, and I will write a blog about it as well that will help to translate that communication um, into a smaller briefer text other than a, a long lengthy paper. Um, but yeah, as you can see, it wasn't complicated. So, you know, people I think think research is really hard. You need a lab and it's gonna take three years um, but that, you know, a Google search and then an analysis of that is not complicated. Yes, there was a method and a, a you know, a proper study design that means that those results um, can be trusted. Um, but also I think the thing is, is that what I'm talking about there now, that everyone can relate to Googling something and then looking at the images and then 
um, thinking something based on what they see. So again, um, the, 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 the connection that people can have with this research, I think is, is good and that's why I've chosen it as well. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's a very important part about that um, being relatable to you know the general public or um, to people outside of research because that's kind of one of the reasons I started this little show is to, to let people know what's going on. Like you might, in terms of when people think research, they do think a lab, they think um, a lab coat, you know, someone with a Petri dish or a, a test tube, but that's not necessarily... Uh, nutrition research as well so that's awesome and so I will uh, when, when that is out I'll link that to my uh, my listeners as well in, in the brief of this episode um, how was your tea out of 10? It was good I'm about I'm almost at the end and what's left is pretty cold so <laughs> <laughs> but it was quite good so I give it a I give it a, um, an 8 out of 10 8 out of 10 yep yep nice I'll probably give my coffee maybe a seven this morning i did make it a little bit earlier so i wasn't late um so it was a little bit cold as well but that's all right um i would expect your uh your tea to be a little bit cold as well you did do um plenty of long answers which is great to hear from um someone that's awesome thank you so much for that um there's we've got a little bit of time left this morning just to talk about something um which both georgia and i are involved in at monash it's something called the green impact program i don't know if it's uh just related to universities. I know you've done it before, so you might want to talk to it a little bit more. But basically, it's a kind of an intervention program that you can get together with your groups in certain departments at the university and compete against each other to become the most sustainable department at the university. Um, so you get some points for doing some certain activities and, um, I guess, activism for sustainability. Uh, so things like turning off the lights in the office or doing a podcast to talk about sustainability and the Green Impact Program, um, putting up some signs to recycle your rubbish or uh, areas like that. Is is that, that correct, Georgia? Yeah, that's it. <clears throat> so it's a, I guess it's a workplace-based program to consider how sustainable is the workplace and can we engage the workers uh, to participate in greening the work and the office space um, and, and by doing that, firstly, we're, we're making the space better, but we're also educating and creating awareness amongst the team as we go. And even with that, if, you can, if, you can, if you're listening and you want to you know, include the Green Impact Program in your, your workplace, I'm sure you can, because it's something that you do notice once you leave your own household in your own life. You might have recycle your own rubbish or do your uh, red cycle plastics or have some green plants at home, but then when you get to your workplace, it might be a completely different environment if you're working for a large organisation or just a small little, you know, fish and chip shop. It doesn't matter. Everyone has a, pl- a part to play in terms of sustainability and planetary health, so it's a great program, and I'm pretty cool. Uh, I'm pretty happy to be a part of it as well and be able to contribute. So, and we're coming eighth at the moment out of 58 teams, so not too bad for, uh, I think I think they got you got second last year, did you, Georgia? Yes. Yep. So we're going for the gold medal this year. Hopefully, this uh, podcast will get us up on the ranks. So, uh, is there anything else you'd like to say to the listeners at all, Georgia? Uh, thank you for having me. It's been really great to talk with you, Nathan, uh, and share my insights and my journey around environmental sustainability. And yeah, I do think it's a really uh, important area. It's going to affect all of us into the future. Climate change um, is something that is is going to affect our lives in many ways, directly and indirectly, but also going to have um, disproportionate effect on disadvantaged populations and groups throughout the world. So 
we have the time to act now. Uh, and I really do firmly believe that everyone has a responsibility to play. And you can consider how you can have a role and what you can do within your sphere of influence. That's probably uh, the thing I think is most important to understand is what, how can you use your existing knowledge, skills, networks to have a transformative effect? Amazing. Thanks so much for your time this morning, Georgia. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. To finish off, as always, thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it as this is a passion of mine. Don't forget to leave a review. It helps other people find the show. And please share this episode on your social media or tell a friend to continue spreading the message of the Cooks community. You can sign up to our weekly email by clicking the link in the description of this episode and follow us on our Instagram and Facebook at the Cooks community. Until next time, remember to breathe.